Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and joining me as always is Colleen. How you doing, Colleen? I am good. Uh, we didn't release an episode early this week for our Patreon people because it was Eileen's birthday, and we went out of town to her favorite steak restaurant. Uh, the drive was so beautiful, though, and it was a ton of fun. I know Jocko's in San Luis Obispo is amazing. So if any of you guys find yourself in slow, uh, make a reservation. Be prepared to wait a little bit even if you have a reservation, but it's the best steak you will ever have. It's really, I've had steaks at all sorts of restaurants and it's, it doesn't look like much from the outside or the inside, but it's the best steak you'll ever have. I swear it's, it's really good. That is true. <laughs> it is, right? I was vegetarian for a long time and it's the best steak I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, they just cook it well. They season it well. It's, I mean, that's what they do there. Just all steak and they've done it for, you know, years. But I was really happy you guys or you were able to make it and Tori and Zach. So yay. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of our little annual family, you know, tradition to go down there to celebrate the March birthdays because Emily's mom, so my wife's mom, her birthday's in March and Emily's brother's and birthday's in March and my birthday's in March. So we all go down kind of because me and Emily never go down for the holidays hardly because traveling during the holidays just sucks. So it's kind of nice to get together, you know, in March a couple months after because, you know, I miss my in-laws and everything, so. Oh, anyhow, Jocko seriously is the best steak you'll ever have. And I swear they're not our sponsors, but they're just really good. So if anybody is close to there, they're going through San Luis Obispo. I swear, just make a reservation and go. You you won't be disappointed if you love steak. And now on to this week's episode. So this episode was a little difficult to write. Uh, this week, we're talking about a serial killer who targeted open and closeted gay men in the 1980s and the 1990s. There are up to 12 victims attributed to the man responsible, but not much is written about the perpetrator or the victims. So despite how prolific the case is, not much is known about them. And the case themselves weren't really connected by law enforcement until shortly before an arrest was made. It kind of seems like the case overall has been forgotten about in a way. This week's episode takes us to Chesapeake, Virginia. Chesapeake is part of the Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Newport Beach metropolitan area and is a pretty big city in terms of cities in Virginia. 
It had a population of just under a quarter of a million. And the land area of the city is also pretty big. It includes the Hampton Roads, which is a large water area and metropolitan area that includes Chesapeake and extends throughout southern Virginia and into northern North Carolina. Hampton Roads has a notable military presence as well as a reputation for being a vacation spot, which is unsurprising given all the beachfront property along the coast. So despite Hampton Roads being a big tourist area and a mix of residential and city, there's a lot of land out there that doesn't experience high foot traffic. In the Chesapeake area of Hampton Roads, bodies started turning up on the back roads. The bodies were men. They were in their 20s and 30s, and the first one was found in January of 1989. 21-year-old Stacy Renew was found on January 7, 1989. He had been strangled and was left nude. Over the next eight years, 11 more bodies would be found in the area left in a similar way. The men found didn't have much in common. They were different ages, races, and from different backgrounds. Some of them were local to the area and others weren't. They also came from varying socioeconomic backgrounds. The only things they had in common were they were left strangled with similar ligature marks and several of them were known members of the small gay scene in the area. So I tried to do a bit of research on what exactly, you know, the quote gay scene was like in Chesapeake in the 80s and the 90s. And as far as I can tell, it wasn't like a prevalent or really like out large gay scene. Best we could tell was some of this was a product of the area. Parts of Virginia aren't as socially liberal as, say, you know, parts of California. And us being in San Francisco, sometimes we forget. Even today that, you know, there are places that aren't as socially liberal or as open and welcoming of the LGBT community. And I think the other part of the issue is definitely just a product of the time. As a society overall, I think that we've come really far in terms of the visibility of LGBT people. Mm -hmm. But like that's just even in the last like 10 years. In the late 80s and the early 90s, we didn't see, you know, like LGBT people on TV very often. And if we did, a lot of times their sexuality was sort of like the entirety of their character. Yeah. So we have discussed in other episodes, notably the episode on Stacey Hanna, that it wasn't uncommon for out gay people around this time to have been disowned by their family for their sexuality and their support system and family becomes the people that they meet when they break out on their own. Many of these victims were identified by their friends, who were also gay, and they were not from the area, so the friends were the only living link to the cold cases, and people often moved in and out of the area, so the death count rose, but the cases remained unsolved. I read an article that attributed the cold case status of these crimes to the fact that it was gay men being murdered in a more conservative area. Had the victims been straight... It was suggested that a connection would have been made sooner, but police efforts weren't focused on, quote, these types of crimes. Once again, it's really a shame that this is how things were working at the time. We have another situation where even application of the law and its resources could have possibly prevented more deaths. Even when researching this case, it was kind of difficult to dig up information on not just the victims, but the person responsible. This guy has up to 12 deaths attributed to him, but he doesn't even have something as simple or as common as a Wikipedia page. With the 12 victims, he is 
a pretty prolific serial killer on par yeah. with other ones we've covered, like Chester Turner from last week, um, Lonnie Franklin, or Henry Louis Wallace, or even Wesley Shermantine and Lauren Herzog. Yeah. But I had to dig through like 20 plus year old articles to find just one that kind of listed out all the victims' names and how and when they were discovered. That's really, really sad. I mean, how does that happen? These poor people deserve to, you know, be remembered, too. It's just, I don't know, sad and mad and all that. It To me, it almost seems like they were, this all happened right before kind of the internet and everything being online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's almost like because they weren't covered a lot at the time of their death, like in actual newspapers, so the, no their stories are kind of just lost. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the discovery of Andre Smith on July 2nd, 1996, that the past cold cases were linked and investigated as being related. At about 8.35 in the morning, Andrew, also known as Andre Smith, was found strangled to death and nude on a dirt road outside of Chesapeake. Andrew was from Portsmouth, which is not far from where his body was found. He was also an out gay man at the time of his death, and he was estimated to have been dead for about 24 hours before he was found. He had been strangled with a ligature. And Andre's friend Arnold later told police that he had last seen Andre at 2 a.m. on July 21st. His body was found a little over 24 hours after that, and Arnold said that Andre told him he was going to stop by a mutual acquaintance's house to, quote, get some money, that he'd be back in about an hour. And Arnold said he tried to wait up for his friend, but Andre never returned. Arnold gave police the name of their acquaintance, and the man's name was Elton Manning Jackson. Like we've said, not much is available about the victims and the perpetrator, but what we do know is that Elton Manning Jackson is an African-American man and was born in 1956. He was 40 years old when Andre's body was found and is from the Hampton Roads area. Elton Jackson, like Andre, was also an out gay man. After Arnold gave Jackson's name to the police, they were surprised to learn that they had already spoken with him while investigating this case. During a routine canvas of Andre's neighborhood, they ran into Jackson and noted he was acting weird. He was jittery and wouldn't make eye contact with the officer and said he didn't know who Andre was. Despite the bizarre encounter with Jackson at the beginning of the investigation, No real progress was made until May of 1997, when the police decided they had enough evidence to arrest Jackson in connection with Andre's murder. Jackson gave an official statement to the police and told them the following story. He backtracked on his previous story where he said he didn't know Andre. In fact, he said that he invited Andre over to his home that night and Jackson had agreed to pay Andre for sex. Jackson maintained that he and Andre engaged in consensual sex. Jackson paid him, and Andre left. He also said he denied knowing him the first time he spoke to police because, quote, I'm a black gay man, and the person I was just with turned up dead. Police conducted a search of Jackson's home and found a bloodstain on his mattress that matched Andre. A warrant was issued to collect his DNA and was matched to DNA found on Andre's body. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. After Jackson was arrested for Andre's murder, police took another look at the string of unsolved strangulations in the area and named Jackson as a person of interest in their deaths. We had 21-year-old Stacy Renew, who was found on January 7, 1989, who we mentioned earlier in the episode. There was also 37-year-old John W. Ross, who was found on January 21, 1992. 27-year-old Rick Bosdick was found on June 28, 1993. And 24-year-old Robert Neal was found on September 8, 1993. 31-year-old Samuel Leaf was found on May 14, 1995. And 30-year-old Jesse Spencer was found on January 27, 1996. So including Andre, that brings Jackson's victim count to seven. Then police decided to expand their search and found even more victims. In the beginning of the investigation, police thought that Stacy Renew was Jackson's first victim, but then they connected the 1987 murder of a man named Charles Smith to him. And he is now considered to be the first victim, and the M.O. differed slightly, From the others, he was strangled, but he was not found nude. Joseph Alex Ray was found strangled and naked and left on an abandoned road in 1988. And additionally, Billy Lee Dixon was found on July 2nd, 1992. Reginald Joyner was found on March 7th, 1993, and both were naked and strangled. Finally, the murder of a man named Garland Taylor, who was found in 1994, was connected to Jackson. With these additional connections to Jackson, his potential victim count rose to 11, and with Andre being linked directly to Jackson with DNA evidence, his count is at 12. And when questioned, Jackson denied killing anyone. Police say the first inkling they had that a serial killer was on the loose was when John Ross's body was found in 1992. A serial killer task force wasn't discussed until 1994, It wasn't until they caught a break with DNA in Andre's case that they had a suspect. Police cited the range in backgrounds of the victims as a reason for not putting it together sooner, and to an extent that makes sense, the victims 
range across racial and class lines. Some were openly gay, some were not. And the thinking at the time was that serial killers did not cross racial lines when choosing victims. Now that they could look into Jackson's past, they found that they could connect seven of these men to Jackson socially. In fact, Jackson lived in or around the neighborhood his victims lived in, and many friends of the victims were also familiar with Jackson. We had mentioned some of the victims were out gay men, and their friends identified Jackson as someone who would routinely offer to pay them for sexual encounters. Jackson did not deny that he was gay or that he would pay these men for sex, but he repeatedly denied killing them. If his DNA was at the scene, that was because he had sex with them shortly before they were killed, but he maintained that they were killed by someone else. Despite all these victims being connected to Jackson, he only stood trial for one murder, the murder of Andre Smith. He was charged in May of 1997 and faced a first-degree murder charge. The trial underwent two changes of venue due to media coverage of the case. Basically, once it got out that there was this, you know, gay serial killer on the loose, it sold a lot of headlines locally. The trial took place in nearby Newport News, Virginia, and began on August 17, 1998. It's also worth mentioning that the jury selection process took extra time, and this is because multiple people were excused after saying they did not feel that they could be impartial because the defendant was a gay man and or the victim was a gay man as well. And that is very disheartening that, you know, in 1998, was that was happening. That's literally 20 years ago. I know. It's not that long ago. The prosecution presented their physical evidence against Jackson, and they showed DNA evidence and painted a picture of Jackson being a man who was paying men for sex and then would strangle them during the act and leave their bodies on rural roads around Chesapeake. To back this up, the prosecution called three witnesses to the stand, all of whom had extremely disturbing encounters with Jackson. According to the prosecution, these victims would establish an M.O. that had striking similarities to Andre's murder and the victims connected to Jackson. First was a man named Kevin Benton, who told the court he had planned to have sex with Jackson on December 11, 1996. Kevin said that he had Jackson pick him up from Norfolk, Virginia, and take him back to Jackson's house. Jackson offered Kevin $75 if Kevin would allow Jackson to tie his hands behind his back and massage him. Kevin, who testified that he was high on crack at the time, said that he agreed and took off his clothes and let Jackson tie his hands. Jackson left the room, and when he came back, he was holding a leather strap. Jackson then quickly tried to put the leather strap around Kevin's neck and pull it so he couldn't breathe. Kevin managed to kick Jackson off and freed his hands. Jackson then paid Kevin $20 and dropped him off at an appointment with his probation officer. When Jackson was asked about this incident, he described it as consensual and denied trying to strangle Kevin. The second witness testimony came from a man named Tommy Anderson. Jackson offered to pay him for sex in May of 1995, and they both went back to Jackson's house. Everything started off consensual, but quickly turned violent when Jackson pushed his forearm down on the back of Tommy's neck. Tommy threatened to start screaming and said that he wanted to leave, and Jackson agreed to drive him home so they got into the car. And then Jackson started driving in a different direction from Tommy's house, and when Tommy protested, Jackson hit him in the face hard. 
Then Tommy said Jackson threatened to kill him if he tried to run. Jackson drove him down a deserted road near the place where Andre's body would be found a year later and told him that he had to get out of the car. Jackson made Tommy face the car and put his hands on the hood, and Tommy turned his head just in time to see Jackson coming at him with a leather strap. This split-second heads-up may have been what saved Tommy's life because he was able to fight Jackson off before he could get the strap around his neck. Tommy kicked Jackson and managed to run away back to the main road and escape. Jackson testified that he never had any encounter with Tommy, sexual or otherwise. The final witness was Willie Swimpson, who lived with Jackson for a period of time in 1995. While living with Jackson, Willie said that he would routinely have sex in exchange for money with Jackson. One time, Jackson took Willie out to a secluded area off a back road in Chesapeake. It was then that Jackson tried to put a leather strap around Willie's neck. Willie managed to fight him off and ran into the woods escaping. Jackson rebutted this testimony, saying that Willie was lying because he broke up with him after he caught Willie stealing from him. Jackson said Willie was only testifying against him because Willie was upset at how their relationship ended. The leather strap described by the three witnesses and the ligature marks on Andre and multiple victims matched a leather strap in Jackson's possession found at his home. Some of the bodies of the victims that are connected to Jackson were too decomposed to definitively match this ligature. The defense tried to discredit the witnesses as liars, but their tactics were unsuccessful. And after four days of trial, on August 21st, 1998, Elton Manning Jackson was found guilty of one count of first-degree murder in the death of Andre Smith. In October 1998, Jackson was sentenced to life in prison. So, for some final thoughts, it's, you know, for me, it's sad once again that we see, you know, police resources applied based on the personal prejudice of the ones in charge of the investigating. They didn't get justice because police decided, you know, what wasn't the type of crimes they wanted to solve. That It's just awful. Yeah, and it seems like a situation where they ignored the problem, and I don't think it would have yeah. been ignored if it had been another group of people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's wild to think that 20 years ago, though, you know, they're going through jurors who wouldn't be impartial or fair since the accused or the victim involved were gay. Right. That yeah. is what was so mind-boggling to me was that they had to, they were like, oh, we had to go through multiple jurors who said they wouldn't be impartial because, you know, the people involved are gay. But I actually do want to know, what do you think about only one of the murders actually going to trial? Do you think that that was strategic on the prosecution's part because they thought maybe there would be an issue getting an impartial jury due to, you know, the sexuality of the victims? I just wonder why, yeah, not more charges were brought. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was the case. I think it sounds like Andre's was sort of, you know, they had everything they needed. And yeah, I mean, seeing the trouble... You know, kind of going through it at first, I'm like, why wouldn't they do it? I was a little irritated. Why not? You know, it's silly. Right. But then you kind of realize, yeah, going through that they had to move the trial several times. They had trouble finding a jury that this one would put them away for life and call it a day, I guess, kind of thing. Um, it's too bad, though, because, I mean, these all these other victims, 11 other people are not going to have, you know, justice. But if they go through the trial, they may not even get it anyway so i'm guessing that's probably why 
What do you think? I guess I hope that that's why, right? Like, I hope that yeah. it was, like, they were reading the, like, prejudice. Like, the prosecution was, like, reading the prejudice of the time. Right. And they just took their bet on what would put Jackson behind bars. Even yeah. though I don't think that that's right. And I think that it's just a shame that that was the society that we're living in. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And then just to end my thoughts on this episode, researching it was pretty interesting. And at the beginning, I said it was kind of tough. And that's because so little information was available. And you would think that with the victim count attributed to him, he would at least have a Wikipedia page or something. Like, I keep bringing that up. Yeah. But it's like, you Google Elton Manning Jackson and not even like a like a, a short Wikipedia, but, you know, just like something that aggregates like old articles or something. You know, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And there's even less available about the victims, even Andre, whose case was brought to trial. Like I was reading through an appeal that Jackson had his lawyer send. And even in the appeal, there's not that much about Andre. It's just really interesting. We'll link it online so you can read it. But I just think it's heartbreaking to think that something so heinous could potentially have gone ignored. I know, yeah. And that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you for listening. But before we go, we have some housekeeping. First off, we want to thank our researcher, Hannah, for helping us put this episode together. We also want to say thank you to some of our listeners who took the time to leave us uh, five-star reviews. So thank you to TCU Paula, BKC or BCAC, I'm not sure, (laughs) Gypsy Band, and Julie102482 for your reviews. Uh, Your reviews help us out a lot, and we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us the feedback. We also want to say a huge thank you to Tuesday 2 for your Patreon support. We cannot do this without you. And the support from our listeners, especially our Patreons, really help keep the show going. If you'd like to see what we have to offer, you can go to www.patreon.com slash misconductpodcast. And do you want some misconduct merch? Well, guess what? We have a store set up. You can order t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, water bottles, magnets, and more. If you're interested, you can go to our website, www.misconductpodcast.com slash store. And remember to always use the discount codes. They always have discounts. You can plug a couple of those in and save money on your order. And stay tuned till the end to hear a word from our friend Sarah at Good Nightmares. And that wraps us up for another episode of Misconduct. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a second, head on over to our Facebook group to discuss this week's case. We love our group and we love being able to interact with you guys. So if you're not a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the cases. So hop on over and let us know what you thought of today's case. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. And we want to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music. And you can look them up on Bandcamp to check out more of their stuff. If you have a case you'd like to see covered, drop us a line. Send it over to our new email address, hosts at misconductpodcast.com. That's hosts, H-O-S-T-S, plural. And we will see you next week.
Hey everyone, this is Sarah from Good Nightmare Podcast, a podcast where I like to talk about all things strange and unusual, whether it's mysteries, historical crimes, or fairy tale origins. I hope you'll come along for the ride and join me as we delve into some spooky tales. Happy listening! Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 